Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. So last year, we looked at league-wide trends, and we noticed that the touchdown efficiency in both the rushing and receiving game was insanely high. We were looking at a 10-year peak in terms of how effectively the teams or the league in general was scoring touchdowns in both the rushing game and the receiving game um, in 2020, and we expected that to regress in 2021. And it did. In fact, all three, both all touchdowns, receiving touchdowns, and rushing touchdowns regressed back towards the mean in 2021. So what was the effect of that, and what can we learn about league-wide trends while trying to expect what to expect in 2022? Ah, I used a book title for a title. Awesome. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets. Sometimes pour cold water on heat. When the mask's not adding up, you said I'm checking out. I'm just Welcome to the ground. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. So the subject for today is what is going on with the NFL, right? Right? Seriously? Really? Um, no, we're looking at league-wide trends, which is not specific to no specific team. And it's important to know that when you're looking from this higher vantage point, uh, like a league average, that this isn't necessarily going to affect individual players, let alone uh, individual teams. And so individual contexts in both those situations should be used. But we found it, and we definitely found something last year that was relevant to what was going to happen in 2021, and I think it bears looking at again, especially since we don't see the same trend, Um, but there are some other things going on which I think should influence the way we're thinking broadly about what the 2022 season is going to bring. Okay, so as I said in the introduction, touchdown efficiency did regress. We regressed from like 150 yards per touchdown in the receiving game which was 10 fewer yards per touchdown than the average since 2012, so a 10-year average. Um, and we regressed up to 165 yards per touchdown in the receiving game. And in the rushing game, we were averaging 114 yards per touchdown in the rushing game. I said that, right? And we progressed up to 124 yards per touchdown. The average is still 136. Now, what do you notice about both of those averages is that while the receiving game regressed right back to the average, the rushing game was still largely efficient last year, and that's something I want to touch on in this episode consistently, actually. And now when we look at touchdowns broadly, like all touchdowns, how many yards per touchdowns was the league scoring, it's 149 yards per touchdown in 2021, and the league average is around 152, which is bang on the money. Essentially, it's well within the expected range of outcomes or very close to the average. Now, Again, just brief warning, regression is no by, by no means an accurate predictor. We know when things should move up and down, but also they can surprise us. And also volume is also always a cure to regression. For example, 
if you're getting too many yards per touchdown, you could just, or too many touchdowns per yard, you could just score more yards instead of less touchdowns, for example. Now, <coughs> in that way, we can see that points can remain stable consistently over time. And that's something that's very important when we're looking at regression. Um, and also, again, it's not accurate. It's not like I knew because we're scoring 150 yards per touchdown, we're going to move to 160 in 2021. We just know it should t eventually move back up towards the average, especially if you're using a reasonable average like we were doing. All right. Um, now, one way to see that, actually expand and move on from this subject, is to consider that rushing and receiving touchdowns per game on a league level is actually relatively consistent no matter which period you're using. For example, since 2012, the league as a whole, if the entire league was one team, that's the exercise here. We're dividing all stats scored in a single season by the number of games played in that season and then dividing that number by the number of teams, so 32. That's why I'm representing it all as numbers that seem fairly reasonable to an individual team, even though I'm talking about the entire NFL. So on average, since 2012, the league as a team has scored 1.6 receiving touchdowns per game, and it scored 0.8 rushing touchdowns a game. If we go back before 2012 and take the average since, say, 2011 to 2000. Two, then the average receiving touchdowns a game is 1.4, and the average rushing touchdowns a game is around 0.8. So actually extremely consistent even before and uh, pre and post what's typically referred to as uh, you know the new NFL era, of the passing era since 2009, or in this case since 2012. Because even though the efficiency is moving up and down, so and efficiency definitely tends to regress. In fact, all things tend to regression, but efficiency is one where we can see uh, wild and nearly swings in this manner. And um, the the number of touchdowns being scored in an individual game remains consistent because of the way regression works. I know it's awkward, but think of it this way. What possible use could that have been for projecting the 2021 season? Well, for a start, I personally use a Z-score, and we did a whole bunch of regression things within the projections for the 2021 season, and they did pretty well. I think they were, they were hot fire. But... And um, more broadly, let's look at points per game scoring of top 12 players across the positions. In 2020, quarterbacks were scoring 25 points per game, 25.3 to be exact, inside the top 12. And that's the top 12 overall scorers points per game, not the top 12 points per game scorers, just to be clear. And that was significantly above a five-year average or a 10-year average, as I was just talking about. I'll stick with that one. It's about 10% above a 10-year average. In 2021... And that reverted back to 23 points per game for top 12 quarterbacks, which is within the range of what is reasonable considering what the mean is, which is around 22 points per game. It was actually still 2% higher than the average, but much closer to the average. So we regress back towards the mean in an upwards manner, not that regression always has to move in one direction or the other. It just regresses back towards the mean, whether it's over or under the mean means that the number is going to probably regress in a certain direction. However, running backs, they regressed. In 2020, despite that rushing efficiency bouncing back down in that they were getting more yards per touchdown, so it could have been a positive stat, they actually scored fewer points per game in the top 12. We saw a down year for running back last year to the point that around 5% and the, the, the points per game scoring of top 12 running backs last year was 5% below average since 2012. 
that's actually something we've seen since 2018. In 2018, we had rookie Saquon Barkley, we had Alvin Kamara going off, and just to remind you, Todd Gurley was still a top five running back at the time, although he was in his fourth career year. In that year, running backs were averaging 20.9 points per game. And the reason this is relevant isn't necessarily positionally so. And this is something I got into with Zachary in the Dynasty Grind this week, a rare point of contention, in that when I say top five running backs, I'm thinking of the typical top five running backs, which are high-level, different-scoring running backs, um, and are related to top 36 scorers, like the number of players every week in a flex sense, ignoring quarterback, that score inside the top 36 are incredibly significant to fantasy. It means there are only 35 other players that could compete with you at that one spot. And the more top 36 overall players you have, the more likely you're going to win. It's why having Cooper Cup last year was more significant than hitting on two top 24 players who were pretty decent. Um, or Debo Samuel, for that matter, rather than uh, Marcus Brown, even, who I do love, but he was a top 24 wide receiver at the end. Or Terry McClellan, who I also win in, and I've mentioned my victory, so I should probably mention what I consider my misses. I like Marcus Brown and Debo um, Samuel and uh, Terry McClellan last year, but two of them were only top 24 scorers, and they were not difference-making. Still relevant, because wide receivers win the flex, and I consider it not so much getting it wrong, but we measure how wrong we are when we're actually trying to get better. And I consider it significantly wrong because I thought specifically Terry McClellan had top 12 upside and the wide receiver position that would make him one of those top 36 scorers regularly and really make a difference in our seasons. All right, where, 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 how did I get onto that? Ah, yeah, running backs. But last year, top five running backs. So despite the fact that like Joe Mixon was like running back four, I think, overall last year, um, and that's one Zach was reading with. He wasn't one of those difference-making running backs because we had a down running back here. And that, to me, speaks something to the level of play or level of volume and efficiency and whatever mix that is we can expect from players because players establish what they are relatively soon. And one of the best ways to move forward in Dynasty and in Redraft is to just assume we're not going to see a large explosion for no particular reason but a narrative because we want it to happen. So Joe Mixon's a really good running back on a really good team, but he's only ever shown top 12 upside on a points-per-game basis, but also on a workload efficiency balance And in this perfectly good situation. He got into the top five because we had a lot of injuries and the running back scoring in general was lower. And I think if we had typical top five scoring, he would not have been in that conversation. That, to me, is a different kind of player. That's why top five boundary me using that as an arbitrary synonym sometimes can be misleading from what I necessarily mean. Speaking of which, I realize I actually wanted to talk about this on this episode, so I pulled out that tab. Last year, in terms of top 36 flex players, around 61% of the top 36 overall scoring players in 2021 and we're actually from the wide receiver position. That leaves about 38% or 38, 39% of them that were not. In other words, that's a 5% decrease in from 2020. The average since 2012 is around 57% of players inside the top 36 overall being wide receiver. This is essentially part of the pattern of why wide receiver wins the flex. Now, obviously, tight ends fit into this conversation. So 39% of players that weren't wide receivers last year at least... A quick eyeballing at one, two, two. Two tight ends got inside the top 36 overall scoring, which is, again, why they typically don't enter that flex conversation, while why that uh, tight end premium, unless it's incredibly significant tight end premium, like two points extra, 
and don't tend to launch tight ends into flex consideration, therefore don't make them a premium position or particularly uh, more relevant. They just adjust within their own position. Is that relevant to what I was just talking about? Kind of, in the sense we have regressed down. In 2020, that high-scoring year with high efficiency that we were talking about, 66% of players um, inside the top 36 were wide receiver, which is, again, a 10-year. In fact, it was like a, a, a historical high in terms of overall top 36 players because we normally have about at least 40% of them coming from the running back position. In fact, before the last two years, close to 48 uh, close to 50%, close, much closer to 50% of players inside the top 36 were coming outside the wide receiver position. And over the last two years, that's increasingly become not true. Now, again, we did see that regress down in 2021 to 61% of players being from the wide receiver position instead of 66 But it is notable it didn't regress back down to like the 53, 50% average that it has been before that in 2019, 18, and 17, all of which were around 50 to 52%. So in other words, you know, 18 players were wide receivers and the rest were running backs and tight ends. Which does tie into what I want to talk about with the league-wide trends. Alright, so moving back over to it, running backs had a particularly down year, but that's actually a trend we've seen since 2018. But this is one I want to highlight for 2022, especially given the regression patterns we were talking about at the start. I don't think this is running backs are going to start scoring fewer points. Haha, zero running back wins again, because we still want running backs to be scoring high level of points, even if they hit later and we draft them in a zero RB manner. Not teaming here for a particular draft strategy. I think this has been a, a yearly trend based on uh, production patterns of career year, and also because of significant injuries that we suffered from the very top of the running back depth chart, as it were, for the league entirely. Um, since 2018. I mean, Todd Gurley being in that top five in 2020 kind of speaks to how that points per game kind of dropped significantly after his rookie year. But to talk about that, I have to talk about some more league trends, so we'll circle back to it again. I will say, while we're here, points per game for the other positions look well within the reasonable range of outcomes of around what the median is since 2012 quarterbacks were a little high but it was fine they actually regressed down like i mentioned since 2020 and wide receivers were like exactly on the median tight ends also the same they're right on the median the average is 12.4 points per game and also the top 12 tight end so who cares we should really change this to top five in fact we should look at top 36 while we're doing it by age but that's that's besides the point because i want to move on um, the age of the top 12 players last year, by the way, there's also some interesting trends that go with what I think we should expect for 2022. Quarterbacks are starting to age up since 2019, which makes sense. The average of the top 12 quarterbacks in 2019 was 28 years old. Since 2012, the average of top 12 quarterbacks is around 29.6. And so we're aging up as these young players just age into the league. But we are seeing the quarterbacks who are going to be relevant inside the top 5 and 12 for the next 10 years. I really think we've seen that influence enter in the NFL, and they're well on the way to starting that path. Um, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, like, let's not pretend we don't know who they are. General Hurts. At the running back position, however, we actually saw running backs hit their average, so they weren't outside the range of um, age expected inside the top 12. Uh, Wide receivers, however, were significantly young. This is in part just because 
Jamar Chase was a top five wide receiver and a rookie wide receiver inside the top 12 has actually only ever happened one other time. And, and no, it wasn't 2014, especially inside the top five. But this is, I don't think it's just that single player result. I actually think the average of the top 12 was significantly young last year. And again, that's going to regress up, whether it's team old guy riding again with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen being significant values over that age from 2013 and 2014 class, um, or also just the wide receivers who went off last year, since we know who players are relatively quickly, and by year two we pretty much establish who most players are by that time, are going to be a year older, and so that 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 age category is just going to move up naturally with them anyway. The tight end position, interestingly enough, inside the top 12, so it's a little, yeah, we really like top five, but they are younger again. We've got Mark Andrews um, joining the elite along with Kyle Pitts and with Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, which has reduced the average of the most significant tight ends a little bit. But again, we should probably expect Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts to continue to be in that group and that position's top 12 average age to age up with them. So I think 2022... And we kind of saw this from the 2020 trend while looking at 2021, um, has gradually aged up. The average of top uh, 12 running backs in 2020 and wide receivers was both below the average since 2012. We kind of expected them to get a little older, and they did, except for wide receiver, where the 2021 class broke out to a significantly good degree in their first year, which I would say was largely unexpected by me because I don't expect that, even for great classes. So, you know, woe is me. But I have I have them on my rosters now, so I'm pretty happy. Um, so I thought that was interesting as well. Moving to more broad trends, passing attempts per game. We're actually passing 8% more often, or the league, not me, not we. The NFL as an individual team was passing 8% more often per game last year. We had 38.5 pass attempts per game. And remember, that's adjusted for the 17-game season. And whereas the average is around 35.4 since 2012. Now, obviously, passing att- the passing rate of the NFL has increased, dra- increased dramatically um, since 2012. So is that 8% above the average just a sign of that? I don't think so. Because since 2012, you can see the passing, um, passing attempt rate or the percent of all plays being passing. Um, increasing uh, drastically, but 2021 looks different. We were passing about 58.6% of the time, not we, the NFL, as a team, whereas before that, in 2020, in that above average and highly efficient year, we were passing 56% of the time, not me, the NFL, and then 57% the two years before that, 56% in 2017. I think we've seen the regression upwards on a league-wide trend, up to around 57% of attempts are typically passing attempts. This 58% seems drastically different. And so that 2% raise um, in passing attempts per game or the passing rate, I think is actually fairly significant where it's an 8% change in passing attempts per game and a 2% rise in passer rate. Now, whether that was because the extra game meant teams lent towards the pass even heavier because rushing is much more dangerous for most of its players, I think is the general logic than passing the ball, or if it's also a matter of monkey see, monkey do. The best teams pass more often, and the worst teams copy the best teams year over year, and so maybe this was an exaggerated spike up, or a combination of those two things, the extra game added, which we really won't know until we see more 17-game seasons to really figure out if this exaggerated passing attempt rate change 
uh, is a matter of having an extra game or just one particular year occurrence. But I do think my expectation going to 2022 based off of that trend is that offenses are going to restrict a little bit. I don't think we're necessarily going to rush more often, but I think passing attempts per game is going to come down. In fact, I think attempts per game in general is going to come down because on a per game basis, the NFL as a team was run was running about 60 to 62 uh, plays a game um, in any given season. Whereas in 2021, even adjusted for that extra game, by dividing it by 17 instead of 16, they're running 65 pa- plays a game. Um, and again, that's not plays, it's just rushing attempts added to passing attempts per game then divided by 32, so the number might be slightly off from what you go and look up. I don't know. But I do think there are more attempts in general happening in 2021 on a per-game basis on a league-wide trend. And I think that is largely to do with the incoming excellence of the 2021 class. Um, And also just the 2021 season itself. That year, last year, was um, slightly lower efficiency, but still significantly below average efficiency um, in that they were highly efficient as a league and scoring touchdowns and with a wealth of incoming receiving talent. And I think that all just culminated in extra passes per game and that should come down next year, which fits. I do try, I definitely try when I get on the crossroads to not go looking for the things that I think are true and then prove them with stats and talk to you all. But that is something while working on projections that I've continually thought, like I think this offense is going to constrict. I don't think it's necessarily going to expand and that doesn't necessarily have a drastic effect on the individual player you're interested in because there's more than 10 targets per game available even in the constricted offense. But like Tennessee, I think Amari Cooper leaving and Michael Gallup being injured means there's probably less passing attempts per game. I think that naturally raises C.D. Lamb's uh, target share up to that 20% mark. And yet at the same time, I think with Amari Cooper gone and Michael Gallup injured and maybe Jalen Talbot trying to do his best fourth round impression of Michael Gallup, can get to eight or nine instead of seven targets a game. I, I think that's well within his range of outcomes based on what he's already done in the league because he's established himself as a good player scoring 1.9 yards per round run on average since he entered the league. He is a good player. That is where a situation change could lead to further ad- advance in the volume game. And yet at the same time, I think the offense is more likely to restrict, especially with a, hopefully a healthy Zeke and the team being more run inclined even with Dak Prescott, who can run a little bit. So they think the offense is going to constrict a little bit, but that doesn't necessarily mean C.D. Lamb can't be a top 12 wide receiver where I currently have him projected. So that kind of fits. So I just wanted to lie that out there, that what I might be seeing in that trend might be looking for what I already think on certain offenses. I don't think so. I honestly think we should expect to see a constriction in overall offenses per game uh, plays in 2022. Now, if that sounds like I'm saying 2022 is going to be a disappointing year, I think in some ways it is. I think we're going to see less surprises. I think we're going to see more players we're familiar with scoring more points for several reasons I'm going to get into in a second. But I also think um, the explosion in offensive talent with new quarterbacks and new wide receivers coming into the league and the successive um, uh, passing attempts per game um, is going to slow down a little bit. And so it might feel a little, a little less exciting. There'll be a little less unexpected Amon Ra and Jamar Chase going on with a more constricted, if still highly efficient and heavily passing-centric offense in 2022. 
So, what's this other thing I keep talking about? Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it at the end just because I think it's interesting and it feels like kind of a point to close on, so I'm going to go with it. And something we talked about earlier this offseason was the way draft classes kind of obscure age production, in my opinion. I think it's an opinion-based thing, but it does really does seem to be true um, if you look at the league-wide trend of where players come from in certain position ranks over time, but you include the draft class. And what am I talking about here? Well, essentially, I'm trying to describe a table on a podcast, so I don't know how well this is going to go, to be really clear, but I'm going to try my best. If you look for where the top 12 running backs, say, come from over time, um, based on career year, then what you can see is these waves of talent entering the league and continuing to be in a large representative portion of the top 12 running backs per season over time. And then you see a drop-off in those career years as they age out, retire, get injured, or whatever their particular personal story happens to be. And then you see another wave come in later. Now, Another way of saying this, or the way I think that somehow obscures age production, like I was talking about before with the increase in age of top 12 wide receivers probably coming naturally because of the young players that broke out last year. At the running back position, we haven't seen um, like a year seven running back be inside the top 12 since 2018. Uh, we also haven't seen uh, a top six, uh, a top 12 running back really come from the uh, the sixth or the eighth or their ninth career year since around the same time. And yet, if you look at the running back class, there are two clear standout running back classes. So let's use them as a microcosm because I think that's an easier way to see these two waves. 2008 wide receiver class, or 2008 rookie class, brought 10 running backs who had top 24 seasons. That's a significantly high number. On average, we get about five. It also had four that scored top 12 seasons, which is, again, twice what the average is for an average draft class. In 2017, we saw the same thing. 11 wide receivers have already broke out for top 24 seasons, and nine, nine have had top 12 seasons. The 2017 class is legitimately uh, something different. Now, what you can see from 2008 onwards is that running backs inside the top 12, a heavy percentage of them were coming from the career year that was that of the 2008 class. So in 2008, 25% of the top 12 running backs were coming from that first year. That's the 2008 class. In 2009, 33% of top 12 running backs were coming from the second year, which fits our breakout pattern, so everyone's not concerned. And in year three, 58% of the players in the top 12 are coming from that self-same draft class in their third career year. However, the thing is, that persists all the way up to their eighth career year. In 2015, 16%, so two players in the top 12, were actually in their eighth career year. That's not something we've seen since 2015 because the 2018 class was still present. Now, you can also see a group of players from the 2007, the 2009 draft class perpetually being relevant. How much of this is a wealth of talent coming in within a particular draft class or era from college? And how much of it is just the NFL requiring more talented players to take up larger roles because of previous players aging out or retiring or getting hurt? I don't know. I think it's pretty clearly a combination of both. It's not like the 2008 wide receiver running back class necessarily are greater on some spiritual level or whatever, talent-wise, in 2007 or 2009. I don't even have to believe that. 
I think it's a combination of their ability and the openness, uh, this, perhaps, um, window for opportunity being available within the NFL. I think that's fair to say. But you can see a similar pattern after the 2018 wide receiver class, 2008 wide receiver running back class, sorry, age out. In lower year players, so players in their first, second, and third career year, being a higher percentage of top 12 running back performances for fantasy and PPR scoring. But it's not really until you get to the 2017 running back class that you really see an epic breakout. And 33% of year one players in 2017 were in the top 12. Then it's 50% in their second year and 58% in their third year. And it has dropped off recently. In their fourth year in 2020, only 33% of the top 12 running backs were coming from that 2017 class. It jumped back up in 2021, however, because of Melton Gordon probably, uh, where 50% of them, so six players in the top 12 in 2021, were coming from the 2017 draft class. Here's the thing, if you put that in a table, and I have, and I've posted it on uh, Patreon and also on Twitter, and the table's available in my database as well if you're into that kind of thing, and look at the comparison, it essentially means we probably should expect the 2015, 16, 17, and 18, that era of running backs, to still be relevant for at least three more years if they're going to continue to follow the pattern of that 2017 running back class, 2008 running back class, which I really think we should. I don't think that 2008 running back class was a product of its era, especially when you look at the the consistency in receiving yards and rushing yards and rushing touchdowns and rush, rushing, receiving touchdowns per game on a league-wide level. Now, the efficiency jumps up and down, and obviously the passer racing has changed, and how much volume and even yards are coming from the rushing game and receiving game has changed dramatically. But the two elements of the game are fairly stable in terms of what they're adding to uh, the league as an offense. And I think that bodes true with the 2017 draft class as well. I think they're going to be relevant for another three years. Not that all of them are going to finish inside the top 12, but I think those that we started to fade on because age and over the last few years we have not seen players in their 6th, 7th and 8th career year. The Austin Ecklers, the, the, the CMCs, the, uh, the Saquon Barclays, the Derrick Henrys. We're starting to expect them to age out and I really don't think they will. I think we've got three more years of these guys being relevant to top 12 outcomes in fantasy football. Um, based on the pattern of draft class rather than the pattern of age production in the NFL. Now, if I combine that with what we're already looking at in terms of a league-wide trend, with passing attempts likely coming down per game, I think, I really think so. But rushing attempts aren't going to spike up. We were still overly efficient in the rushing game, which also should tell you, or it tells me, that we're still, the NFL is still rushing in important situations to score touchdowns. When they get in the red zone, they're still running the ball. Running backs still have access to those valuable points. But they may be grinding the yards to the red zone less often in the running game. Which also means that high, those hyper-efficient, those high-volume running backs should become even more relevant. And um, there should, might be a disparate, even bigger disparity in scoring as we go deeper down the points per game. Those top 24 running backs might become even less valuable compared to those top 12 and those top 5 running backs. That's part of kind of what I'm expecting from the 2022 season. I'm expecting some running backs to return from injury. Um, Derek Henry, Saquon Barkley, uh, Avon Kamada wasn't fully injured, but you know what I mean. 
from those draft classes and them to continue to be relevant inside the top 12. I think it's going to kind of be an old guy year mixed with second year wide receiver talent easing into the role. So I'm going to struggle as defenses have gotten more used to them and younger wide receivers just came in the 2022 draft class. So I really don't expect as much from this year, obviously hoping for 600 yards from the best of them and a points per game advantage down the stretch. That tends to be what I expect from rookies. And that's probably what we're going to get from the 2022 uh, wide receiver draft class. But I also think it's going to be a team old guy year where running backs that with some of us, at least, are kind of tired, kind of sort of tired, bored of, and want to move on from, continue to prove that they are relevant. Now, that doesn't mean you should draft all the old running backs in Dynasty. I think it does make a few of them significant values if you're in a position to look for points in Dynasty. Um, but where, especially in Dynasty, context is everything, and you never need anything. And startup drafts are different than trades, which are different than rookie drafts. So context is always important. Um, but I do think that I'm getting a pretty clear idea of what I think I should expect from the 2022 season. And I think that's helping me kind of frame what I want to do with my teams. And um, if your team isn't competitive this year, you don't have good players on it. They're already proven good. I don't think it's a year to wait and see and hope. Maybe a few of them break out. I think it's time to definitely delve deeper into the rebuild. Whereas if you have an established team with players who have a history of just being dominant, this is a year to really push for it, I think. I don't I think this is a year to shy away from those players. At the same time, I think there are lots of advantages in buying into the sophomore wide receivers versus the rookie wide receivers this year in general as a whole. But let me look at the trade before you say you did it because of me. Um, anyway, I find that the league-wide trends really interesting. And um, they're not one-to-one -to, -one to individual players or individual expectations, but I do think they help me in fantasy football, I hope they're of interest to you, even if they're not, uh, of uh, use to you. Um, and please let me know what you think about it. At PA Howdy on Twitter. Really appreciate you guys checking out this episode, and I will talk to you again next week. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.